She just preached a message just then. That was wonderful. Thank you, Sister Lisa. Wonderful. Tonight, I'm going to get right into the word of the Lord. God's placed a word in my heart. And uh, tonight, I'm going to speak to you through a message that I've entitled, Every Dry Season Takes You to a There. In your journey with God, you'll find you have mountaintop experiences, and you're going to find you have times of dry seasons, season where God has to feed you and he has to sustain you. In places you haven't got no choice but to depend on God. We're going to have to learn we have to be dependent on God to both thrive and survive. And God expects us to finish our journey strong. And to do so tonight, we're going to hear we must first be committed to the journey. If you have your Bibles, 1 Kings chapter 17, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 7. And the word of the Lord says, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was one of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be, not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Say there. That establishes that there is a place. There is a place. So he went and did according unto the word of the Lord. For he went and he dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. Father, I come to you tonight in the precious name of Jesus Christ. I ask you, Father, to help me to anoint me. God, help me to speak what you're wanting to speak to this body, God, at this hour, Lord. We take your word to heart tonight, Father. We count it a privilege and an honor, God, to be able to hear from you, Lord. We're thankful that you minister to our each and every need every day of our life, God. We're thankful for the journey that we're on, God, and we're thankful that you see us through these journeys. And we give you praise for it in Christ's name. Amen. Hallelujah. How many of you know once you're saved and you begin to follow Christ as you have committed to, you've now begun a new journey? That you know there is a plan, there's a purpose, a direction for your life, there's a path that God will lead you down in order for you to accomplish his will for your life. Notice I didn't say it was always a smooth path. I'll be up front with you and maybe you can amen me to agree with me. When I say your journey has... When I say your journey has stumps and bumps along the way, that it has mountaintops and valleys, that it has highs and lows, it's all part of God's plan for you to shape you and to mold you. As it is said in Romans 8 and 28, all things work together for the good of those who love God are called according to his purpose. All things means the good and the bad. It means the mountains and it means the valleys. The good seasons, the bad seasons, the wet seasons and the dry seasons. I think you get what I'm trying to say. God has a specific purpose for each of our lives. Not a single one of us was created without purpose. Before you were ever formed in your mother's womb, God knew you and God had a plan for you. Therefore, every single one of us has a significant part to play, whether it's a big part or it's a small part. You're significant to God's plan. There are no big eyes and there are no little U's in the kingdom of God. I wasn't born to do what you were born to do. Neither were you born to do what I was born to do. 
but we were born to do life together. And we got too many people trying to do what they were never born to do. That's why they struggle. They don't see what comes natural for them as being significant to the kingdom of God. So they try to do something they were never called to do, and therefore they fail. And it becomes an identity crisis for many people trying to fake it till they make it. They say, like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, so I choose to be like you. That's a big mistake, encroaching on someone else's life. Instead of doing what you were created to do, I say, if the shoe don't fit, don't try to wear it. Simply be you. You alone are valuable enough to the kingdom of God. There is more to salvation than just coming to an altar and getting saved. Salvation is not a finish line. It's actually a starting line. It's where you begin to run your race. As the Apostle Paul puts it, your life is a race. It's when God starts to do things in you and through you that he has put you on this earth to do. You can't truly walk in your purpose God has for you until you're born again. That's when it all truly begins. Jesus told Nicodemus, until a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Because that is when your spiritual eyes are open for the first time and you begin to see things differently than you did through your natural eyes. The kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. It's not a natural man-made kingdom. And tonight, I want to speak to someone who has been born again, and you're on your journey. And as I said in the beginning, as you walk through it, you are finding out there are different seasons in your journey. And you're having a hard time making a sense of the one you find yourself in today. I pray that this message will encourage you and enlighten you to God's plan for your life. 1 Kings 17, it speaks of one of the darkest moments in the history of Israel. Ahab is an evil king who has an even more evil wife named Jezebel. She's the devil with the skirt on. That's how I like to describe her. Ahab and Jezebel are the king and queen of the northern tribe of Israel. They were much like some of our leaders today in America. Just had to add that because I'm not going to lie. There's so much resemblance to that period of time then to now for what we are experiencing as a nation. What Jezebel's spirit did to that nation then is doing it to our nation now. Now keep that thought as you listen to the conditions of Israel under their reign. Under their leadership, Israel had wandered away from God. They had gone throughout the land. They placed Asher poles for the people to worship all over the place. They had relaunched idolatry, causing Israel to become an adulterous nation. They had torn down the altars of Jehovah under their leadership, and an entire nation backslid under them and turned their backs on God and began to serve false gods. Yet in this climate of idolatry and apostasy and an hour of a great falling away, God plants a prophet named Elijah in their midst who doesn't give a rip about public opinion and culturistic ideology. And can I interrupt for a moment and say right here, God hasn't stopped planting prophets in the midst of backslidden nations for a purpose even still today. Elijah, by divine appointment, comes marching into the presence of King Ahab on a certain day. This was not an accident. And he says to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel is before whom I stand, there shall not be dew or rain these years except at my word. In other words, it's not going to rain again until I say it will. 
I have been given the authority to declare this by my God, Jehovah. This is almost humorous because Baal, the idol god they chose to serve, was thought to be the god of the rain and the god of the agriculture. And here is Elijah standing here letting Ahab know the God you so choose to serve, although you think he can help you, he can't. Because my God's fixed to show you he is the God who still waters the earth. You have bought into a lie. He's not who you say he is. Your God has ears, but he cannot hear. Your God has eyes, but he cannot see. Your God, Baal, is a dead idol. But my God, who's a living God of Israel, is going to show you he's the one true God of the rain. And Yahweh's not going to let it rain again until he tells me to say so. Just watch and see. And then upon Elijah's prophetic word, a three-year famine commences to take place due to no rain, just as he has spoken to Ahab. And there are times in your life as well, God will speak to you on your journey and send you to a specific place by divine appointment to a place called there. God told Elijah, in the midst of this famine, when people and animals were starving and thirsty because nobody had water nor food, I want you to go hide at the brook called Cherith. The brook will give you water to drink, and I've commanded the ravens to feed you there. There is a place. The first point I want you to get tonight is that God has a there for each and every one of you. A place prepared for you before you ever get there in your season of famine. That when you're spiritually famished, He's done got a plan to sustain you through it if you'll just go to there. On your journey, everyone in this building is going to experience a time in your Christian walk when things will not make sense, when things won't be rational, when two plus two doesn't equal four, when you feel you're spiritually famished in a dry season and God will say, go to there. Where is there? It's going to be a place he has prepared to sustain you through your famine because there I have made provisions to take care of you. God always has a there that will sustain you in your time of famine. You'll never see the righteous forsaken nor see his seed begging for bread. And God tells Elijah, during this dry season and time of national disaster, I want you to go to the brook Cherith because that is the place I have prepared for you for ravens to feed you and the brook to water you so you can sustain the season of your journey. We always want to preach about the mountaintop experiences and the seasons of our lives and what all God did, and we should. But we should also want to preach about the valleys and the dry times where what God does to sustain us in those times is just as powerful. Because he's God on the mountain, he's God in the valley, he's God in the good times and the bad times, he's still God. And no matter what he, where he places us, we're all still always going to be dependent upon him to survive. There was something special, though, about this particular place. He wasn't just there to chill out and get all comfortable. It was also a place of preparation. So I want to tell you what the name Cherith meant. Cherith means the cutting away, the cutting off, the cutting back place. So here's a prophet of God who's very much a part of God's plan. A prophet who's very much in the will of God, who has been obedient to the word of the Lord thus far. And God tells this prophet during these dark times to get to the place called Cherith. Because before I can send you back to call down rain through you, before you go to the next level in your life, I got to prepare you. God always prepares you before he sends you on a journey. Elijah, 
You know what it's like to make it quit raining. That's one thing. But you're fixing to see what it's like to cause it to rain, and that's a whole new experience. Every time you're fixing to go to a new level in your journey, a new experience, in the times of famine, God is going to get you to a place where he can cut some things away that are preventing you from going to the next level to create a hunger and a thirst in you to keep you going because those who hunger and thirst will be filled. So the dry season is a cutting away season. It's a pruning season. You've gone as far as you can go unless you're willing to let me cut some things out of your life so you can grow again. I want to tell some of you who are on their journey, those of you who have decided to follow Jesus, I want to tell someone who's found themselves at a brook called Cherith, at a place where you're absolutely having to depend on God like Elijah was during a national famine where there's nothing else to prop you up, when there's no other source to help you survive. In fact, you are totally leaning on Jesus because you know there's absolutely no one else to lean on in the place you're in. I want to tell you that God in his love and his mercy will often at times in your life put you in a season of your life to where you're totally dependent upon him to even survive. So he can get you to a place to cut some things away from your life. Jesus told us in the book of John, if you want to go from fruit to more fruit to much fruit, you got to go through a pruning. You got to become weak so he can be made strong. You got to become less so he can become more in your life. You got to have some pruning in your life at times. Just like a tree or a vine has to have in order to grow and produce more fruit. It's what takes you from glory to glory. Sometimes there's too many people in your life just like you, and you can't grow no more. So he has to cut some of them away from you. Sometimes he has to cut away your complacency. Sometimes there's too much money in the bank where you don't have to work as hard no more. So he has to cut some of the favor away. Sometimes you've got too much going on for you where you lose sight of the blesser, and you rely totally on the blessings. So he has to remove them. Sometimes he has to cut some of your pride away. So he takes you to a brook called Cherith and says, this is where I'm going to cut some things away from you that you trusted in more than me, that you got comfortable in, that you got complacent in, that you got prideful in, that you even got rebellious in. I'm going to cut away everything you depend on more on than me to make you depend on me once again. When we start depending too much on our gifts and our talents and our abilities more than God, God will lead us to a chair to cut away some stuff so that once again we can grow and be more productive than we were in the past. Through our dependence upon God, once again, taking us to a new level, and this is not a comfortable place to be in. There's not a lot of people tweeting nor Facebooking how happy they are to be at the brook called Cherith. Nobody wants to go there. It's a place where you ask a lot of questions and don't get a lot of answers. It's a place where you declare, I don't understand all this. Even complain, what's going to happen next? Maybe even murmur, I'm miserable. Nobody wants to go to chair, but everyone wants to live in the palace. But if you're ever going to tap into the supernatural plan of God for your life, you're going to have to understand your destiny will have a few stops in it where God cuts things away from you. Where he sustains you and he prunes you. And as to what happens next, it's contingent on how you handle your cherith, the cutting away experience. God doesn't promote murmurers and complainers. That's the very thing he's trying to cut out of you. 
to where you can count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. It's God's desire to take something out of you that is hindering you to put something in you so that he can promote you. Dear Lord, let me prophesy right here in this place for just a moment. I believe that in this day and hour in which we are in, God has got a lot of prophets and preachers and teachers and evangelists at Cherith. At a crucial time in our nation where he's cutting things away from us so we can finish these last days strong. Elijah was able to declare it wasn't going to rain these years until he said so. But in order for him to complete the task God set before him, God said during these dark times of your nation, when famine is upon it as well, I'm going to send you to Cherith. Because before I can cause it to rain again through your prophetic voice, I got to strengthen you again. You're going to have to be more dependent on me more than you've ever been for where I'm fixing to send you, Elijah, for what you're fixing to face. And I got to cut away some stuff for you to make you produce more fruit because God knew what Elijah would face before the rain would come. A spiritual showdown with the Bell prophets and a spirit of Jezebel that was upon the nation, upon a mountain called Carmel where he would face the greatest spiritual battle of his life before he could declare it's going to rain again. Come on, somebody. Where he had to be more dependent upon God than he ever was. And through his dependency upon God and his experience at Cherith, he would have a mountaintop experience with the power to call down fire from heaven and the ability to declare to a famished nation, it's going to rain again. And I want every man and woman of God to hear me now. You may be in a very uncomfortable season, even in a miserable place, our nation may be becoming more spiritually famished. We are living in a time when there's a famine of the word, when idolatry is rising, evil is prevailing, and a great fall away is proceeding. And we may be sitting right now at the brook Cherith, hid out, and God is cutting things away from us, causing us to be more dependent on God than we ever have been through this process, where God is cutting away the junk, the flesh, the pride, the self-righteousness, to prepare us for the greatest spiritual showdown that lies ahead of us in these last days. One that will be a mountaintop experience for the church. When we go and destroy the works of our enemy. So God's spirit can reign on us, this spiritually famished nation of ours, once again. Causing this nation to be revived again, destroying Jezebel's spirit that is upon this land once again. So where we at as a church is necessary to the future of our nation. We may feel roadblocked. We may feel stifled. We may feel defeated. But it won't be long till we're going to be shouting, put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. Now that you've cut some stuff away from me, believe me with all your heart, we can win this war. And the greatest comeback in the history of the church is about to take place. We may have lost some battles, but we are going to win this war because if God be for us, who can be against us? But first, there's got to be a cutting away through this process. You look at your friends, and you've lost some. You look at your job, and you've lost one. You look at your stuff, and you've lost some things. You look at the battles, and it seems like you're losing every one of them. And you're crying out, what's going on in my life, Pastor? Does God not love me anymore? Is he not for me anymore? Let me help you with something. You're at the Brook Cherith, 
And God is simply cutting away something from you. Not to destroy you, but to strengthen you. Weeping may endure for the night, but church, joy is going to come in the morning. You got to endure hardship as a good soldier. You got to endure the pruning because God is trying to show you he's the only one who will never leave you. He's trying to regain your dependency back upon him. You've been depending on everyone and everything else for too long. Your resources have run their course. So it's time to connect back to the source of it all. In all of your uncertainty, you're going to realize the only thing that is certain is God. Some people put too much confidence in people. And when they let you down, you're devastated. The truth is you should have never depended on them to hold you up. If you don't ever want to be let down, then you better start holding on to the one who will never leave you nor forsake you. Man is not your source. That's why a man or a woman alone can't make you truly happy. He's just a man, and she's just a woman. They can satisfy your flesh, but they can't touch your soulless realm where joy abides. Only God can bring you joy. I want to say something to all you single people thinking, if I just had a man, if I just had a woman, I'd live happily ever after. And when you get one, you find out six months later that him or her alone didn't do it. You'll find flaws in each other. There's sometimes when you need somebody and you can't get a hold of nobody. But if you'll put your trust in God and not man, you'll find any time you need someone to talk to, any time you need someone to hold you, he'll always be there for you. God has a there for you. Now, this is where a lot of us are at. Pastor, I'm on this journey doing my best to follow God, but I feel lost. I'm not sure where I'm going. I feel like I'm going nowhere. I don't understand what God's up to. We got so many questions right now, and we got so much uncertainty. I don't know who to marry. I'm not sure what job to take. I don't know what college to go to. I don't know what home to buy. I feel like my ministry's on hold. I feel like my marriage is stagnant. The only thing I feel certain about is I'm saved, and I'll be truthful, I've questioned that at times. Pastor, I feel like I'm not going anywhere. My ministry's going nowhere. This nation around me is falling apart, and I feel like I'm next. I'm going to tell you tonight, if you'll listen to the Holy Spirit, in the middle of a famine, God always fed a prophet. In the middle of a famine, God always provides for his people. In the middle of your famine, God will sustain you. But you got to get to there, that place, like Elijah did. He was right in the midst of a famine, but God told him to go to there. And it was there he found provision where God sustained him. All the while, there he cut things away from him to prepare him for what lied ahead of him. For the next level of his ministry. Are you getting this? You got to go to there. Because God won't give you the provisions over here when he told you to go over to there. God has divinely appointed places where he blesses you. So if you're willing to obey the voice of God in your famine, it will determine you receiving provision for your vision. Church, you want to know where we are at as a church? Let me tell you, we are at our there. Right in the middle of a spiritual famine. How did we get to our there? Well, let me back up about 15 years ago. In 2006, when we were still the 19th Cedar Church, God spoke to our pastor. 
He said, it's time to go to there. Where was there? Here, where we're at. We were told the provisions for our vision would be found there. Well, what a challenging decision that was. Because we were debt free where we were at, but God said, go to there and build a palace. Let me tell you, being willing to obey the voice of the Lord wasn't such an easy task for a lot of us. There was a lot of time spent counting the cost. Financially, $3.7 million. And there was a lot of time, though, counting the cost if we didn't go to there. There was a lot of sleepless nights were involved. There was a lot of dialogue and pressure and burdensome council meetings. But God kept saying, go to there, which is here. We come to a council meeting one night, and I'd been reading that day, and I found a quote that I don't feel like I found by coincidence. I brought it to our council meeting that night, and it spoke to us. Here's what it said. Would you put it up on the screen, Josh? It said, commitment. Until one is committed, there is a hesitancy to draw back. But the moment one commits oneself, then God moves too. And a whole stream of events erupt. All manner of unforeseen incidents, meetings, persons, and material assistance, which no man could have dreamed would come his way, began to flow towards him. I said to the council, I believe until we make a commitment, nothing's going to happen. That we're going to have to do it by faith. That if God truly says it, then we got to believe it and we got to go there. That night, your council and your pastor unanimously finally made a commitment to go to there, which is here. And when we did, provisions for the vision began to unfold. Miracles took place, and so did obstacles. And I could spend hours telling stories of the overwhelming obstacles we faced and about the overwhelming provisions God gave us to overcome all the obstacles. But I won't, but maybe someday. But let me at least tell you one. When committed to go to there, we didn't have $3.7 million dollars. We applied for loans at three different banks, and it was a no-go. Wouldn't lend us the money. But it just so happened we had a member of our church who had went to Springfield to visit a friend. Upon returning, she told me she met a friend of her friend's who was a banker, and she told him our need. She handed me a card. She said, you might want to call him. Well, that week, the pastor was gone on vacation. So I make the call. The gentleman answers. I say who I am. And he says, yes, Randy, I'm aware of your need. I said, well, we are needing to borrow $3.7 million. And he said, okay. And I said, okay, what? And he said, we will do it. And I said, well, I'm sure you need some financial papers. And he said, 
No, I own the bank and I want to help you. Consider it done. I was flabbergasted, but I had a big challenge. My pastor came back on Monday. And I told him, hey, pastor, I called this banker. <laughs> and I told him we needed $3.7 million. And he said, okay. <laughs> and I got that, yeah, I look right. I said, I'm telling you, pastor, I said it. I even repeated it. And he said, it's done. Well, we're, I'm dialing up the phone. And I put it on speaker. <laughs> and I talked to the gentleman. I said, I had my pastor with me. And I called you the other day, and you told me it's done. And he said, yes, it's done. And then we both were flabbergasted. We were in total shock. And from the moment we made a commitment to go to where God told us to go, all manner of unforeseen incidents and material assistance began to flow towards us. Church, we borrowed $3.7 million over the phone without a single piece of paperwork. You see, when we made a commitment to obey the voice of God, to go to there, the provision was already there. Hallelujah. And when we got to here, which is our there, God has provided for us every single step of the way. He put us in a place where we have no choice but to depend on him for a $23,000 a month payment. There is provision for God's vision if we'll obey him. And now that we're in the spiritual famine as a nation, God has us at Cherith sustaining us and cutting things away from us to prepare us for the next level of the vision, the spiritual showdown that lies before us. So God's cutting things away from all of us so we as a church can go to the next level. And we aren't liking it. We're miserable. We're uncomfortable. Things seem uncertain, but hold on. Just as soon as he is through pruning us, there's going to be an army rising up in southeast Missouri that's going to begin to punch holes in the darkness of this nation, and it's called the church. Hallelujah. In these last days, only the churches have been willing to obey the voice and endure the cutting away process will have the authority to declare it's going to rain again. Church, the famine of the church is about to be over because the battle of this national spiritual famine is about to be won. Hallelujah. We want the provisions, but too often we don't want to go to there. We don't want to go through nothing. We want to, don't want to let some things go to get it. We want to remain here when God is saying go to there. Some of you are getting ready to do some things that aren't going to make a lot of sense to you at first, nor your family, nor those around you, because God has been speaking to you at night. I know I'm right, and you know who you are. He's been speaking to you through his word. He's been speaking to you in your prayer time that it's time to go to there. And until you make a commitment to go simply by faith, totally dependent upon God, you will remain where you're at. 
God's challenging us to go somewhere we've never gone before. Challenging you to do something you've never done before. Will you let me help you out? It will never happen if you remain where you're at. When you're over here and God says to go over to there. It's only going to happen if you go to there. And let God prepare you there. If you'll obey the voice of God for what it's going to take to turn your marriage around, turn your ministry around, turn your faith finances around, turn this nation around, turn this church around, it's going to take some folks willing to go to there. Because just like in Elijah's day, this famine is going to be over. And the church that goes through the cutting away will be stronger than it's ever been. It's going to be weird to some, challenging to most, unprecedented to the church. It's going to be criticized by those closest to you. But it's going to take us to the place of provision for our vision. And we got a choice to stay here and try to sustain. But let me tell you, when we do, the brook will dry up one day, even before the famine is over. Or we can go to there, everywhere that God sends us, and receive everything God has ever planned for us. And a famine is a place where we begin dependency on God and not so much on each other and the things we possess. God knows what we're facing in these last days, and he knows we are going to lose this war if we continue to depend on our own gifts, talents, and abilities. He knows there's no way the church will win this battle without being dependent on him. So if he has to put us in a place to cut some things away from us so we can win, he will. He'll do it to make the church strong again. We cannot tear down idolatry if we are idolaters ourselves. We can't tear down strongholds if we have strongholds ourselves. We can't reach sinners if we are sinning ourselves. And God's going to cut away our fleshly desires so that our spiritual desires will grow for the things of God. So that once again, we will seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Like we did at the beginning of our journey with Christ. So that we'll hunger and we'll thirst after righteousness. So that we can be filled with his spirit. We've got to become God chasers again. Instead of just staying where we've always been. And we will pursue God again when we get down to a total dependence upon God again. If God did it then, he can do it again. But it doesn't mean when he does it again, he'll do it like back then. Come on, somebody. If you've never been through a season when you had to totally depend on God to survive, then you're not qualified to stand before a king and speak on God's behalf like Elijah did. Do you know why Elijah could walk into the presence of an earthly king like King Ahab and tell him it's not going to rain for years? How could he stand with such boldness and confidence before a king who could kill him and not be afraid? Because he believed in something, God's word that no weapon formed against him shall prosper, that greater is he that is in him than he that is in the world. Elijah believed, I have stood before the God of glory, the king of all kings. I can surely stand before an earthly king. 
When you're confident and trust in the Lord with all your heart and believe that God before you who can be against you, then you can stand before even kings of this earth and declare, thus saith the Lord. God has a there for you. And when you're on this journey and God is speaking to you about where there is, go to there in a hurry. Don't let no one or nothing stop you. Ignore the naysayers and get there. Because when you get there, provision is waiting on you there at the divinely appointed place. Now, this is where it gets crazy. When the prophet Elijah obeys the voice of God and gets to there, the brook Cherith, provision is waiting on him to sustain him during the famine years in his nation. And just like God had promised, water was there in the brook to drink. And just like he said, he commanded ravens to once in the morning, once in the evening, bring him bread and meat. Now, if I'm Elijah, before I ever got to there, I would have had to ponder on that. Because when God told him that, there was a famine all around him. People and animals were starving. There was no water nor food. But God, you're telling me if I go there to that brook, there will be water to drink and food to eat for me there. That ought to speak to you that on this journey you're on with God, he will supply your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I don't care how dark it gets in this nation or how hard it gets for you on your journey with God. Paul said it like this. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or the seed begging for bread. But you understand you got to go to there wherever there is. Every day Elijah woke up to water and to drink, food to eat. All this right in the midst of a nation's famine. Now that he obeyed the word of the Lord and got there, how blessed did you think Elijah felt? When we left Ninth and Cedar by faith and got to here and found out that provision was here, I'm telling to tell you, we have felt blessed beyond measure every single day we've been here. There's really only one place you can find meat and bread at during a famine. It's at the king's table. King Ahab and Jezebel had plenty. I read somewhere, though, one day in Jewish history that the rabbis believed when Elijah was at this brook called Cherith, at this place of dependency on God, they believed the ravens that God commanded to feed Elijah meat and bread were getting their food for Elijah from King Ahab's house. Hey, they had to be getting it from somewhere. They said that the ravens would fly in through the open windows of the palace into the king's dining room, and they would snatch meat and bread off the table and take it to Elijah. And it was happening so often, they said, that King Ahab, in an effort to keep the ravens out of his dining room, would set plates of food out on the ledge for the ravens to eat. He thought, little did Ahab know they were feeding Elijah with it, and little did Elijah know God was using his enemy to feed him. It just tells me when you get to there, God will even use your enemy to bless you if he has to. Hallelujah. Whether your enemy wants to or not. Because I read somewhere, the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. This belief helps me to better understand what David said. Thou preparest a table for me in the presence of my enemies. I don't know wherever it is God is telling you to go. I've just come by to tell you wherever it is, you've got to get to there. And you can't get there worried about what people think about you. 
worried about what they write about you on Facebook, worried about is anybody going with me, it's you're there. When you get fed up with depending on man to get you there and start depending on God to get you there, you will get to there. Because the steps of a righteous man or woman are ordered of the Lord. The provision is already there waiting on you to get there. Everybody's looking for someone or something to validate them or promote them. Since when is God's word not good enough to validate you all by itself? It's what it means to be called, chosen, validated. Too many choose man's approval over God's approval. Man limits you. He builds you up. He tears you down. He sets you into boundaries. But God says you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And I've come to tell the church provision is waiting on us. If we're willing to go to where God has ordained us to go, because Elijah went to there, and every morning and evening, he never worried about making it through the famine his nation was experiencing. Because he was totally set aside for a season dependent upon God. And some of you are looking in the wrong places for your blessings. Single people, let me pick on you one more time. You ain't going to find Mr. or Mrs. Wright at Scooter's Lounge. You ain't going to find a true man of God in there. And you ain't going to find a good woman in a crazy place. Can I get a witness? Ladies, go find you a move of God and find you a man after God's own heart. Hallelujah. Elijah drinks and he eats daily from God's provision. And then one day he goes to eat and drink. The water's dried up and the ravens haven't came all day long with food. All of a sudden, he's not as comfortable as he was. The brook had dried up. This place of provision had stopped providing. God can only provide you provision at a certain place for a certain season. Why is that? There's a reason. Remember, you're on a journey. Because if he provides at one place too long, you will get so comfortable, you won't want to finish your journey. You'll just become satisfied where you're at. And God knows in time, you'll become more dependent on the provision than the provider. That's good right there. Let me say that again. Because huh. if he provides at one place too long, you'll get so comfortable you want to finish your journey, you'll just become satisfied where you're at. And God knows in time, you'll become more dependent on the provision than the provider. So God will dry up that place that you're at to get you to go from there to there. And because of his provisions there, it ought to convince you to go to there. By getting us to believe if he did it there, he'll do it there. He dries up the brook to get Elijah to move to the next step in his journey to the next level. His journey was not over. This place is often where a lot of people struggle. And you wouldn't think so, but they do. And that is going from there to there. It can be harder than you think. We get comfortable here, and we don't want to leave to go to there. Elijah still had to go to tell Ahab, it's going to rain again, right? So in order for God to get us to move again, he has to force us at times. Sometimes he even uses adversity to get us to go or do what we wouldn't never do in our comfortability or our complacency. So God drives up the brook before the famine is even over. And he tells Elijah, you've been here long enough. You're ready to go. 
Go to Jeripath and see a widow woman to provide for you. And he does only to find out the widow woman don't have no food either. But God provides at this place in his journey also. The woman's son becomes sick and he dies. And he lays on him and he recovers. God provides whatever he had need of at this place in his journey. Then he tells him to go back to face Ahab again. Upon doing so, he faces the greatest spiritual battle of his life. But this place in his journey, Elijah prevails and rain comes again to his nation. Why did God dry things up where he was? To get him to go to his next level of his journey. His journey was not over at Cherith. It wasn't supposed to end like that with him being complacent and comfortable. I hope tonight you have seen through this small piece of this prophet's journey, and there are more to his journey, that there are going to be ups and downs in your journeys. There's going to be seasons of favor in your journey. There's going to be times of struggle in your journey. There's going to be time he feeds you and sustains you in your journey. There's going to be high times and dry times in your journey. Times he has to cut things away from you to cause you to grow again. Dry things up to where you're at to get you to go finish your journey. To where when you stand before God, you shall hear, Well done, thy good and faithful servant, enter in. He doesn't dry things up to destroy you or just to annoy you, but to push you to the next level in your journey, which you will find like Elijah did, can be even more challenging in the end of your journey. Now, I don't know tonight which place each of you are at in your journey, but I know this, your journey is not over yet. Maybe you're at the place where you haven't began your journey by following Christ. I invite you tonight to this altar, and you can start that journey. You can come to this altar tonight, accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and begin your real journey. Maybe you're at a place you're finding his favor right now. Or maybe you're at a place of spiritual famine, God sustaining so you can survive it. Or maybe he's got you in a place where he's cutting some things away from you so you can produce more fruit. Or maybe you're in a dry place and God is going to use it to get you to move to your next level of ministry. To get you from there to there. Elijah experienced all those places in his journey to his ultimate spiritual battle that led him to having a mountaintop experience with God. Everything he went through, and I said through, prepared him for that spiritual showdown with the spirit of Jezebel that had ruined his nation. Because of what you have been through, God has prepared you for your next step in your journey as well. If you're willing to commit to go from there to there, I know where we're at as a church, as a nation. I know where as a, we are at as a church in this nation. We've gone from there to there to there on our journey with God. But we still got to go to there. God has favored us. God has sustained us. God has cut away from us to cause us to grow in strength. And now he's drying things up because we are prepared to go. Fight the ultimate spiritual battle with the spirit of Jezebel that has brought spiritual famine to our nation. Causing it to become an adulterous nation that now serves many gods and idols. 
It's time to go from our there to there and to go to the next step of this church's journey. A spiritual showdown lies ahead that God has prepared us for that will bring about a mountaintop experience to our church when we defeat the spirits of this age so we can declare to this nation, it's going to rain again. Are you ready to go to the next level? Then first it takes making a commitment to go. And then you got to go. And once you go, once we go, all unforeseen manner of incidents, meetings, persons, material assistance will begin to flow towards you. If you have truly been best blessed in this place and you're ready to go to the next place, then in a minute I'm going to ask you to come and make a new commitment to go. If you're in a place of spiritual famine and you're willing to go to Cherith and let God cut away some things to make you better, I'm going to ask you to come and let God start the process. If you're ready for the next place that God's going to even be better than last place, I'm going to ask you to come tonight to tell God you're ready. But church, before this spiritual famine, our nation is over. The prophets, the teachers, the preachers, and the evangelists, and the servants, and the handmaidens of God are about to engage in the greatest spiritual showdown ever. We're fixing to have us a mountaintop experience like never before. We're fixing to battle the spirits of this age. We're fixing to call down fire from God, and God's fixing to answer, and the church will have the power to defeat our enemy and the authority to declare it's going to rain again in this famished nation. We are not going out as a weak, anemic church. Can you give God praise? Would you stand with me? Now, before I call you to come to make a commitment together as a church to go to there, I want you with me make this commitment together. Help me here. Lead me, Lord, I will follow. Lead me, Lord. I will go. You have called me. I will answer. Lead me, Lord. I will go. Come on now. Lead me, Lord. I will follow. Is that you? Lift your hands. Lead me, Lord. I will go. You have called me. I will answer, lead me, Lord, I will go. One more time. Lead me, Lord, I will follow. Lead me, Lord, I will go. You have called me, I will answer. Lead me, Lord, I will go. Now, would you come find you a place at this altar and make a personal commitment to God? Would you come and tell God, I'm famished, I'm dry, I'm miserable, but I'm ready for the fight? Come on, if you want to be a part of what's next, if you're famished, God will supply all of your need. 
If you're ready to regain your dependency on God, come make this commitment to him again. If you're ready to go, come tell God, I'm just simply ready. Because until one is committed, there is a hesitancy to draw back. But once one commits, come. Would you make a commitment as a church to go to there? Wherever God's calling you, where God is calling this church, we got to hear, church, but we as a church have got to go to there. Come pray. Come make a fresh commitment to God. God, I'm committed to go there. Go ahead, worship team. Standing here, not knowing how we'll get through this test, but holding on to faith you know best, and nothing can catch you by surprise. You've got this figured out, you're watching us now. But when it looks as if we can win You wrap us in your arms and step in And everything we need to supply You've got this in control And now we know that you against the wall and it looked as if it was over you made a way and we're standing here only because you made a way Standing here, all in 
as the enemy wrecks havoc on our nation thinks he's winning little does he realize where God's got the church he's sustaining it he's preparing it and the hour is coming when the church will not be silent no more and we're fixing to take on the greatest spiritual battle we've ever faced and we're going to win because we depend on Him. Every one of us, we're on a journey. You have your individual journey, but together, we do life together as a church. We all have a journey together. And if you're ready to go to the next level, just in a way of dismissal, give God a great big shout of praise. Thank Him for counting you in. Hallelujah. God, we praise you. We give you glory and honor. We're thankful, God, that you brought us here, God, Lord. And God, we're willing and we're ready for you to take us there. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. God bless you. You're dismissed.